Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, the beginning of the end? Last time we saw in chapter 12, uh, really David is the one who has brought this destruction, this curse upon his whole family. By God's mercy, he is spared. Uh, and he's guided to repentance through the prophet Nathan with that story that really shows uh, David his sin like a, like a mirror holds up uh, the picture to David so that he understands what he's what he's done. But yeah, I mean, like it gets uh, it gets bad. So we're not out of the woods yet. Here we had the death of that that first son to him in Bathsheba, and now we find out. Well, there's kind of just ways. Uh, kind of like on a lot of levels, actually, David's house is not really in order. Um, so we're kind of starting to see the seedy underbelly here. And I'll just kind of leave it at that for right now, because, uh, wow, there's a lot of stuff to get into today. So we've got, as our guest joining us, we've got Pastor Doug Minton, pastor, at Blaine, uh, pastor in Blaine, Minnesota. Now, let me see here. In my notes here, I don't have the, the church. So where, where are you serving again, brother? I'm actually not serving at a church. I'm on candidate status right now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Therefore, no church name. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you know, my goodness, like with these times, like so many things are kind of up in the air, lots of transitions, and oh my goodness, I have to imagine a lot of people are uh, a little bit uneasy with the, uh, well, let's just like the elephant in the room, uh, the election just being so up in the air and everything else, time of transition, right? Exactly. It's just one of those crazy times. It's been part of a crazy year. So, yeah. <laughs> without getting yeah. too deep yeah. into it, I'm not exactly surprised with the way the election is right now. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. It, it is. It, it is interesting that, um, I mean, I mean, like, there is a, there's a big mixture, I think, of a lot, a lot of people who are very surprised, right? Um, but on the other hand, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a surprise whichever way it goes at this point. Like, I, I would not want to be the guy who put the $5 million bet on uh, either candidate right now. It's, uh, it's a little little too uh, close for comfort in some ways. But, you know, I think it's uh, it's been really good, and I appreciate some of the messages I've seen that other pastors have put up on Facebook, just that, you know, hey, you know, the, these things, they come and they go, you know, princes and principalities rise and fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And I think that you have that here, right? You know, even, even David, right? King David is on his way out and things are on the way down for him, but God's kingdom will prevail. Right. So I've seen some messages on social media where it's like, almost wishing we could have just set up a king and just get rid of the whole election thing altogether because it's divisive. But uh, we'll see in chapter 13 today and in the uh, chapters coming through to about 018, 19. Yeah, that's not exactly the best way either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Well, Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, well, yeah, and, and we'll, and we'll see that in a few different ways, but, uh, well, let, let's turn, turn to the chapter. Um, as do you so brother, would you, uh, just with so many things on our minds, uh, just try to help us focus here and ask, uh, for God's blessing and peace as 
uh, we turn to him in prayer and look at this chapter. Absolutely. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedoms we have in this country to be able to elect our leaders. And we ask as the ballots are still being counted and tallied and verified that you guide all those in charge to put the man that you have designed and set in motion to be the president starting next year into into that place. We ask you to also be with us as we come to this most difficult chapter in the Bible, that with all the things going on in it, that you remind us once again, as many people have said throughout these turbulent times, that you are still in control of these things, and it is your will that ultimately is being done. We ask you to guide our thoughts and our minds as we go through this chapter to see that also as it was in ancient Israel. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, I think, yeah, this uh, the, the story in the second half of Second Samuel really illustrates what you were just saying. Um, I, I mean, like, you know, we're going to see, you know, Absalom is going to seize power for a period of time. Um, we're going to have uh, a whole lot of things that are pretty ugly going on uh, with, with David and with his son Solomon. Uh, you know, b- by no means is there is there ever kind of this, like, era of, hey, look, we have our leader who has no faults, and he's just great. No, no, that never seems to happen, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Could you perhaps, before we read the chapter, uh, are are there any, is there anything you might offer just by way of kind of like set up and maybe remind us of some of these characters here? Like, um, I I think Amnon, like we've, we've heard next to nothing about him. Um, Absalom's a name that will sound more familiar, maybe just because we uh, already talked about it in connection with Psalm 143. But um, I don't know anything you can do to kind of help, like set the stage for some of these uh, these characters here. Okay, so I have to uh, give credit to Dr. Rick Stuckwish, who came up with uh, a he published a Lenten series, Hosanna to the Son of David, like in 2005, 2006. That uh-huh. basically starts with First Samuel 12 and runs through Solomon becoming king and then ultimately Palm Sunday and Holy Week being the son of David really being Jesus that we're focusing on, but trying yeah. to get some of these ideas together because some, mm-hmm. some of these we don't hear much about. So really there's right. five major characters in the story in chapter 13. You have Amnon, who is David's firstborn son and legitimately the heir to the throne. You have his younger brother, Kiliab, or Nathan, who is really mentioned nowhere outside of the list of David's sons. Yeah. So most people believe he died very early, as I believe you probably covered back in chapter 3 with the last list. Hmm. Then you have Absalom, who is third, who, as we'll see, begins to see Amnon as in his way to be the heir to the throne. Then you have Tamar, and then you have Jonadab, who kind of rides both sides of the fence, as we'll see throughout this chapter, who is actually the cousin of Amnon, Absalom, and Tamar, uh, being the son of one of David's brothers. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're going here with the cast of characters we have. 
But really, this is the beginning of what Nathan said, as we as you read yesterday in right. verse eleven of chapter twelve, that I am bringing evil upon you out of your own house. Yeah. We don't go very far after after chapter twelve to then. Yep. Oh, there it is. You, oh yeah. So, I mean, sir. Well, I mean, you know, even in the uh, at the end of chapter twelve, just with the with the death of of that first son, in in some ways, that just being a uh, a prelude of th- this is the kind of thing that's gonna that's gonna happen. Uh, and, and I appreciate you mentioning uh, too, actually, about um, about David's son Nathan here, because we, we didn't actually have a chance um, to get too much into that. There were just so many things going on. Um, now, what what was that? That was like back in chapter. Uh, was it like four or five? Like three or four, five, something. Yeah, you, early yeah, on yeah. in Second Samuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so no, we, we've. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting how there's all of a sudden in Second Samuel, like as you were saying, this cast of characters. A lot of these guys who we just, you know, I mean, uh, for instance, I think maybe maybe the biggest one in some ways would be Abner, right? Like who you don't really hear that much about him, like in First Samuel, and then all of a sudden Second Samuel, like, whoa, okay, we're getting like all kinds of stuff developed here. So um, unfortunately we're only getting the, the, the bad stories, but well, that, that is that's, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But, but thank you. That, that, that helps us set, set the stage uh, nicely and uh, for pointing out that resource for us too. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll just re- read the chapter straight through and just kind of get the, the cast of characters all out on the stage and get everything on the table here. And we'll kind of circle back around and look at some of uh some of the details in the first verses then. But for just for now, reading the chapter through, this is chapter 13 of 2 Samuel in the English Standard Version. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend, whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, He took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? 
And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong in sending me away. This wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now, she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal-hazer, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, let not, the, let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the, king's, and the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur, 
and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. So a, a big chapter, right? Like, uh, it was very helpful that you, you laid out all the, all the characters at the beginning because a lot of moving parts here. But, um, I mean, the, the, the story at the, at the heart of it, I mean, you just have this, this atrocious, atrocious sin, uh, that's committed here. Right. And it's just, it, it, it feels like it's the thing that, that tears uh, everything apart. Right, so we, it would be easy for us to say, really, well, this was this was all um, Amnon's fault, right? Um, or, or maybe it was all Absalom's fault, or, or something like that. But it reads differently in the context of uh, the preceding chapter, right, in chapter twelve, where we really see, you know, all this, all this stuff, all this turmoil. I mean, uh, the, the fact that you know th this is how it's going on—that between you know David's own children. You know, you, you just have this like, you know, incestuous desire burning within them. I mean, like th this is this is really in a, in a different light showing us how David has uh, for some time now probably mismanaged his household and allowed this then uh, to become the result. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Well, it's definitely but uh, basically my that was going to be my conclusion there, but um, <laughs> well, no. okay, okay. I'm sorry. I should, I should, I should quiet yeah. down and not steal your thunder anymore. But, but yeah, uh, your thoughts though. But it it is a very complex story, and when when you see some of these things, when I've gone through Second Samuel and Bible studies, usually the first question asked is, "Wait, this is in the Bible?" Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> like this in the Bible? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it all it also shows just how sin can twist you around, because mm -hmm. we have that beginning where Amnon is so tormented he's making himself sick, yeah, with desire. And then as we get to verse fifteen, after he's fulfilled that desire, he hates her even more than his desire had been for her. Yeah. So you, you, this is something you want, and then when you get it, you realize, yeah, it wasn't that great in the first place. And so it it just it just makes what happens to Tamar just all the more tragic, you know? I mean, like, even, even when she's, like, plea, pleading with her brother, right? I mean, just, I mean, she just, just I don't know, it just goes from, like, uh, insult to injury to, it just, it just keeps going from bad to worse. Like, nothing... Um, nothing good seems to come of it. Right. And you also see just kind of, as you were saying, the denigration of David's management of his household. It, uh, Dr. Steinman in his commentary points out that basically this circles back around to the beginning of First Samuel. And speaking of the high priest Eli and how he wouldn't discipline his sons no matter what kind of charge came up against them and all. Right. Even even though he knew it was all happening, yep. David kind of has this whole, you know, fatherhood uh, mentality as well. It's like, well, okay, you know, they're they're grown people now, so you know they they have to they can make their own decisions. But well, yeah. I mean, still, parents of grown children worry about the decisions that they make. Yeah, and you know there are, 
and we see that you know there are very dire consequences for everyone involved, whether it's Amnon, Absalom, Tamar, even Jonadab. No, that, that's right. I mean, it's um, no, no. Like, there's there's not really seemingly anybody in the end who's actually um, better off for for these things transpiring. And uh, yeah, I, I I think that uh, just how you were breaking it down, like the the way that that David let his own children get away from him. I, I mean, it's it's uh, it's difficult too because I, I mean, like to to me, one of the things I'm thinking about. Like I mean, I, I'm thinking that the problem probably started really early on. Not, like not even when you know they were, were were grown, and it was sort of like, okay, well, you know, they're gonna they're gonna do what they're gonna do. But I mean, just just from the beginning, as you were pointing out, I mean, David took all these wives, um, all these concubines, had so many children, right? I mean, uh, we we see again and again. There's this like a theme, right? That you you have like a, I mean, and the big one is with uh, Jacob with uh, Rachel and Leah, right? Um, you get like competition going on uh, between between the women because I mean I, I mean like each one of them like just wants their husband to love them wants a family right uh, wants to have that place of mother and, and wife and just I, I mean really David here is even worse than uh, than, than Jacob and, and Laban splitting it not up not just uh, two or or four ways but i mean like i i mean i don't even know i mean a dozen ways and so i mean what kind of example did amnon have growing up right exactly and you have going back to the beginning of second samuel with the list of sons i believe out of the six or seven that are named there there's four mothers involved mhm uh, one at least one of which he killed her former husband Right. Then you get to chapter 11, and he does the same thing with Bathsheba and really gives Amnon the idea that, okay, I'm the, I'm the heir to the throne. I've seen the king yeah. do these things and get yep. basically whatever he wants. So you know, I want to be king one day, so I, I can do the same thing. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think so. And, and, and I think that the way that David has presented himself— is hey you know I, I'm the king 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 takes what he wants right and and you know sometimes it, it's this whole you know like the heart wants what it wants right I and mean, isn't that why he just basically told everybody with the way that he conducted that with uh, with Bathsheba right or um or even back we we, we saw you know I keep referencing this uh, that that scene with uh, the the ark the, the big celebration with the ark of the covenant and the uh, the lewd dancing and, you know, McCall makes her comment and, you know, he says, Hey, I'm the King. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want. And I've got lots of other women. If, if you're not happy about it, I mean like that, that, that denigration of his role as father, as husband. I mean, that was just all before Amnon. And just as you were saying, I mean, is it any surprise that Amnon decides that well, he wants what he wants and he's going to take what he wants? Exactly. I mean, when you have a, an example like that of what it means to be, a father or a husband, or even just how to be a man. Yeah. Uh, you, which we see go throughout history as just you have people who have gone on to do horrible, heinous things like Amnon. And one of the things they see is, well, okay, what, what kind of example did he have growing up? And usually they're fairly bad examples. Right. 
Well, I mean, and it just, it's just hard then, because I think this chapter then, as much as we, as you were saying, because I, I think it's very, it's very normal for, for people these days to look at this chapter and say, whoa, this isn't the Bible, right? Um, but I mean, it, it's condemning, I think, for us. It goes, it goes back to chapter 12 and what Nathan said to David that, you know, if this is how the children are acting, it's because they saw it in the parents. They got it from somewhere. Um, they didn't make this stuff up. But we do need to talk about this guy. This, uh, this, you know, crafty guy, it says, uh, Jonadab. Uh, a few things I think we can say about him, but first got to take our break. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at 2 Samuel 13 on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and our Savior Lutheran Church at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 13 today, uh, the tragedy of Tamar. And, you know, uh, speaking of that name, right, like you might be thinking to yourself, hang on, was that the, well, no, the other Tamar who was also treated terribly by the, the men in her life who were supposed to do much better by her. Uh, there, there might be something actually worth pointing out about that. Um, in just a second, making some connections here. Joined today by our guest, Pastor Doug Minton uh, in Blaine, Minnesota. If you've got a question or comment for us and you're listening live, uh, join the conversation. You can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let's just starting to take a peek at some of those questions here. Um, you know, this is, I think, the question we want to turn to next. Is lust the source of evil? What's the best textual approach to discern the motive, the influence, or the gullibility here in stories, uh, Bible stories like these? Yeah, I, I think that 
this is kind of the question again and again, right? Like, where does the evil come from? Um, and there's a couple different answers. Um, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to kind of parse those things out. You can also uh, join the conversation on facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Just uh, look at the live stream there and just put your questions or comments right there in the box. Uh, kind of asking about Jonadab. Uh, do we ever hear more about him is the question. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. Um, don't neglect, though, before we get into some of these questions, to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, their, web, their website, lhfmissions.org. All right, so, uh, yeah, turning to some of these questions, some of these connections here that we got going, um, I mean, I think it's clear that that David is to blame um, for this in, in many ways, but you get this— uh, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And, well, I don't know about you, but this isn't the first story where we're introduced to a character who is told to be very crafty, who sets bad things in motion, right? Right. That would be you know, the next thing I wanted to bring up with with Jonadab is that, uh, well, here he is uh, uh, considered very crafty. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you have the serpent was the most crafty of all the creatures. Yep. You know, very very similar in wording there, uh, both in the English and in, in the Hebrew. So it, I, I think the writer of Second Samuel is trying to bring that point out. It's not not something that he wants to drop, because I'm not sure. I can't remember seeing Jonadab mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures except for in chapter 13 here but the idea the idea of bringing about that he's very crafty to kind of set these things in motion mm-hmm. and then at the end try to help pick up the pieces yeah right to put him right. Stuff, like he's you know to, he's just just to there to everything to, to help, right yeah exactly yep yeah, no, I think that's really insightful. I mean, because, I mean, it's it's very much like Genesis 3, where you, you have the serpent, right, introduced, um, and you have all this curse that falls on the serpent and everything else, but, like, you don't really talk about the serpent, per se, right? Um, I mean, really, I mean, in some ways, like, not really for the rest of Scripture until we get to Revelation, then all of a sudden there's all this, like, serpent stuff um, that, that comes back, right? But, like, similarly here, right, Jonadab, he's, he's introduced, and— what I think that, that that points to, I like the way that you put it. Um, I think you said, uh, use the phrase, like, he, he's there to stir things up, right? And and I think that's that's exactly, like, what we're supposed to be getting, that the, the source of the evil is not Jonadab, right? It's not like this is all Jonadab's fault, like, oh, well, the devil made me do it. Like, I mean, that, that that's not what you can say about Genesis 3 either, right? As if it's, oh, well, it's all the devil's fault, right? I mean, the, sure, there's always an instigator, there's always someone who's wanting to shake things up and take advantage of the chaos, right? You know, because chaos is a ladder. So John, John Adab's there, who, who wants to take advantage of the situation. But, I, I mean, it's, it reminds me of one of the sayings of the Lord, right? Um, that, you know, temptations are bound to happen, but woe to him uh, through whom they happen, right? I, I mean, so John Adab's there. It could have been anybody, though, um, because already the evil was in place just waiting for an opportunity. 
You know, that's that's the image in the stirring of the pot. It's like yeah. he, he's just there with the spoon. Every, everything yeah. else is already in the pot. Yeah. You know, he, he's not he's not bringing anything into it, but setting things into motion and giving yeah. giving Amnon the idea. Which, as the pair, the uh, chapter unfolds, we see you know, tying in Jonadab even understands kind of the way David just lets things slide. Mm-hmm. And you know, we see it also uh, in the actual uh, in the actual uh, rape and violation of Tamar. You know, as Amnon basically commands her uh, not to come lie with him, uh, she goes in to protest. And then when the protest doesn't work, then she's like, "Look, well, just ask Dad. Dad'll let us get married, yeah. and it won't be a problem." It's like, um, yeah, okay. If they already have that idea in in their minds, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. So th- those are a couple of really good points. So I mean, and, and so th- this is actually for me then raising a question, which is, okay, j- just even her suggestion, I feel like makes this connection stronger. All right. So these are all children of Judah, right? And this sure sounds a lot like, in some ways, of the story of Judah in Tamar, right? Which was also incestuous. Uh, It was also a case where Judah really um, ended up being the one who wronged Tamar um, in a lot of ways. Um, It wasn't wasn't rape, uh, but, I mean, it did come to uh, Tamar in order to even just, uh, I mean, really have, like, any kind of security ended up. Uh, making herself out to be a prostitute. I, I mean, so in, in a lot of ways, you, you still have this man who brings the woman, who brings Tamar, also named Tamar, right, into this terrible situation. I mean, do, do you do you think that there's like some deliberate uh, links here in the way the story is being told? I, I, I definitely believe there are deliberate links, uh, just from uh, the name and kind of similar situations being brought about. The, the yeah. one uh, case I, I'm trying to tread very lightly on yeah. is how much to put onto Tamar. Because mm. usually in these situations, the, the woman is the one who feels the brunt of the, of the weight of the guilt of it all. And I yeah. definitely don't want to you know, give anyone the idea I'm thinking that you know, Tamar's part in it is kind of bringing it on but you know she gives another option that is not necessarily any better hmm. because again okay yes we go talk to dad the two of us get married as brother sister even though they're halves yeah still still not in accordance with the law in Israel Right. So, you know, well, you know. Yeah, no, I, I feel what you're saying, right? You know, you, trying you, you trying wanna... to tread lightly there. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I feel that. Um, it, it's hard to, to, to say anything uh, about these sorts of, I mean, just most grievous and horrendous of things. I, I, I think that maybe if, if we can use the story of Judah and Tamar um, as, as a helpful foil— 
you know, and and because it's interesting, right? Because in in some ways, uh, both Tamars, right, in these stories, and now I'm like wishing we had really read um, was Genesis like 38, I think, um, that we read that one too. Um, but in both cases, right? So in the case of of Tamar. She is betrothed, or is it she actually getting married? Uh, uh, now it's starting to slip there. Well, she, but she, uh, the other Tamar, she's been married to two brothers. Right. She, no, that's right. She was actually was married. That's right. Quite younger. Mm-hmm. And so Judah, Judah was like by, by the law of the Lord, right? Like supposed to be giving then um, his his younger son, his youngest son, his third son, uh, to Tamar. And, and this, this is important, right? Because uh, again, like you know, we we get to appreciate the circumstances they find themselves in. You know, Tamar, the first Tamar, has no security in life. She's got, uh, it's, a, it's a very bad situation for her to be in, um, to be this uh, childless widow, right, after the first two sons have died. Just not, not good. And so, um, you know, when, when Judah then really wrongs her by withholding her husband, I mean, really the man who should be her husband, uh, and in some ways, because Judah, like, you know, ag- agrees to it, I mean, he really is her husband in that sense, uh, because Judah wrongs her in this way, right? That's what then forces her hand, and, and she does this thing with, you know, pretending to be the prostitute and end up ending up uh, seeking out the relationship with Judah, right? And, and so and I think you, you, uh, you have that story, and you, ah, I, I think that some interpreters could say, like, wow, th- I mean, really, Tamar doing that? Now that, no, that's not right either. Well... Okay, I'm I'm not gonna say that that, like that that's like a good thing or that God you know smiles upon you know clever uses of prostitution or anything like that. Like I'm not not saying that either, but I mean I I gotta say um like the way I look at that chapter, I, I mean I mean I mean even the way Judah looks at it, he to- he says in the end, hey she's more righteous than I am, right? I mean I I, I think Tamar, and that the first Tamar, is. I mean, picking the lesser of two evils. I, I think she's making the best out of a bad situation. I don't know if there was some better way still. Maybe maybe so, right? Um, I don't think I'm right. wise enough to know. But I, I think at the end of the day, like, I do not think we're supposed to be blaming the women here. I, I think they are trying to make the best of a bad situation, knowing that no way forward is good. No way forward is is free from evil or sin, right? We're stuck in bad situations. And, you know, this is what happens to us, right? And maybe here's a little bit of getting back to our context. We find ourselves confronted with bad choices. And the faithful thing is to try to pick the least bad one for the sake of honoring God and serving our neighbor, right? Right. And so with the second Tamar, we have the same thing where it's like, you know, being being violated, you know, one time or living basically the possibility of the life of a, uh, of like Hagar yeah, and just kind of being, you know, you're, you're there simply because, well, okay, we're, we're married now. So you know, you're stuck here again, yeah. not, not necessarily the best situation for her either. No, no, and then and to think of you know any children right that should come of this right. I mean, I mean you got to think about that too. I mean, I mean, I mean Tamar when she says this, you know, and she suggests, hey, you know, if you if you ask, you know, like you were saying, if you ask Dad, right, like he'll, you know, I mean, he, he's he's pretty laissez faire. He'll he'll let us do what we want. Um, I, I mean, like, is she already thinking about 
perhaps like her her child like her future children right i mean like to make sure that they have a father right that they have a home that they have like a some some way of being provided for right i mean like i i I really don't again like i'm not saying that like this is necessarily the like like a good thing or even the best thing but i i don't think we're meant to be judging tamar here at least i feel like i don't have room to throw the first stone um, we, we have on the phone here, uh, we got a question here from James. Good morning, James. Uh, yeah, good. always good to hear from your brother. What do you got for us? Okay, yeah, I have uh, um, the questions about uh, being lovesick, biblically. Okay. Okay. And so I'd like to ask, uh, I guess, Pastor, yeah. what does it mean for Amnon to be lovesick biblically? Is it the same textually? here in this passage mm. as it is in the uh, Song of Solomon, verse, mm. I mean, chapter 5, verse 8. And then for you, the moderator, I'd like mm. to know, is there anything that indicates uh, textually here that uh, David favors Amnon over Tamar? Uh, like her plea kind of suggests mm-hmm. that they consult the king and that he would not deny him his lust. Is, is there something in this text or in the uh, mm-hmm. text of, of uh, Second Samuel that indicates that David favors Amnon over Tamar? And I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, thanks, James. Those are, those are some good questions, and, and, I, and I appreciate that because I, I think that we have a, a very strong tendency— I've said this before to um, to take a, a psychological approach to narratives, and we want to like kind of like get in their heads and do their mo- like look at their motivations, uh, which is just kind of the way the way that we do storytelling. I think these days, so I, I think it's a good question then because I think our minds are already going there. So it's good to try to understand as much as we can, or at least look at what the text does say, as you were saying. So, uh, so yeah, brother, what do you what do you make of that with his first question there from James about? Um, this this love sickness that's that's going on. Well, my first thought is I w- I'd rather have the second question, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but quite quite honestly, with the idea of love sickness as we think of it, uh, I I think we have almost like two sides of the coin here between Second Samuel thirteen and Song of Solomon five. Is that well? We have to go with. First of all, is it really love sickness that Amnon has, mm-hmm. or is it just this is the uh, what is what does the text say that you know it seemed impossible to him to do anything yeah. to her or with her? It's like kind of that prize just beyond reach. Mm-hmm. That that then does that you know could could there have been love in you know, genuine love in Amnon's heart that he wanted to find some way to have like a family uh, with Tamar. I can't say whether there was or wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but the way the way the story tends to unfold has it more being lust sick than being uh, sick with love, like in Song of Solomon, where it's one where. That, that's more uh, just quickly perusing it 
as he was asking the question yeah is more of a you know absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of in yeah. song of solomon five yeah no no so, i think i think that's know, that, that's that's spot on I, I yeah it's a challenge it's a challenging question but now i think i think that's right that when you um we we got yeah you know <laughs> too bad that we didn't have a chance to look at song of solomon right there's another Great chapter that uh, it's hard to understand sometimes, but you, you have all those references in Song of Solomon, uh, you know, about my sister, my brother, my sister, my brother. Okay, no, hang on, right? Um, that's where you got to take a step re- step back and and realize that the term sister or brother um, very often meant nothing more than like uh, m- like my 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 tribesmen, like my fellow tribesmen, right? So like David c- could have used the term to mean like his fellow Judahite, right? Um, right. or even kind of like my my fellow like Israel or Israelite, right? I mean, so when when they're when they're saying this, like my brother, my sister, right? I mean, they're really just they just mean like you know my my fellow Israelite, basically, right? Or or uh, something along these lines, or like you know they've uh, you know they kind of consider themselves in some ways kind of like eligible to be matched together. It doesn't mean anything like the situation um, that you have here. And and you're right about the words too. Like in, in, uh, in Song of Solomon 5, it actually uses that phrase, like I'm sick with love and weak with love, like in that sense of, you know, you know, yeah, like the, you know, you're longing to, to be with the person again. But, but this, um, as you were describing it, yeah, no, I mean, th- this is like an, an obsession, uh, an infatuation, where, I mean, he's obsessed with the idea. And I think you're right to point us to uh, the second part of verse two, where it says it seemed impossible to Amnon to, uh, to do anything to her. Right. I, I, I think that, um, that, that is meant to be, you know, it's just, oh, she seemed, you know, like the unattainable prize. Right. Um, like, like, like that, that, that kind of perfect idea always beyond reach, which, which I, which I do think, um, you know, you're right. Like you can't like, you know, rule it out with a hundred percent certainty, but I, I think it's pretty clear based on what he does in the description here that he's really infatuated with the idea. Um, but that, that, that's not real love at all. Right. Right. Um, and I think that that leads to the, uh, the second half of, of the question there that, that James had. So, uh, you know, he's, he's got this, you know, idea, and, and I think that like really is it's borne out, right? Because like once, like like you said, it's just terrible. Because then once he actually goes and does this terrible thing, then he just th- wants to throw away Tamar, like I, I mean, just like I don't know, just like, like take it out of the wrapper, throw it away. I mean, just 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 using her. I mean, just it's it's terrible. And, and then so so then the, the second half of the uh, the question then like is there some kind of like favor? that Amnon has. Well, okay, so l- looking at the word there, uh, let- let's see what she actually says there. Um, so like in verse 12, you know, she starts off with saying, hey, don't, don't, just don't do this, right? Um, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing, but hey, um, you know, speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. That, that language there, it's it's interesting. Uh, the the word for withholding. I mean, this kind of this kind of reminds me honestly of uh, of Herod, and 
and, and, and Herodias and asking for the head of John the Baptist, right? Where, where there's something of a, I don't know why, it's like almost because of the pride of the king where he says, well, you know, you know, I'm the king. I can do what I want, right? Like going back to what we've seen in David already, you know, like I can, I can take what I want and I can give what I want. And I mean, David's shown that, right? Like he gave all that loot and spoil to all those people in Judah, right? So I, I think that maybe rather than read into this, that David like has like a special kind of uh, favor towards Amnon, it may just be that this is kind of a further reflection of David's pride um, and that, that, that pride from power. I don't know. What, what, what do you make of that phrase there? I'll go, you can go ahead and take a stab at the second question too. Okay. I, was, I had thought I had seen something along that line but I think yeah. it's only in uh, in the end of the chapter where uh, verse thirty seven and David mourned for his son day after day. You know, very mm-hmm. similar to the image of from chapter twelve where he spends the first week of the child's life face down yep. on the floor, mm-hmm. begging God to to release the child from the consequences of his sin. Right. And it has kind of the same idea there when the news first comes that all the king's sons are dead. But when it turns out to be just Amnon, there's still that day after day mourning. And I think a lot, I think we, the best we could read into that is that just Amnon was David's firstborn. Yeah. And I think I think that's probably the only pride of place we can really put in there is that you know this this is his this is his first child, and he he wants he wants the best for that child. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point, and also you know just just you saying that reminds me of the situation with uh, with Jacob. And his sons, right? And what happens when he finds out that Joseph, or when he thinks he finds out that Joseph is dead, right? Um, and how he just mourns and mourns, and he's inconsolable, and he says, "No, no, don't let me eat anything. I'm, I'm going down to Sheol to meet my son. Just, let, just let me go to be with him, right?" And he's got, he's like speaking to his other living sons, right? Right. Um, but, but, but Joseph had this, this particular position, right? It, it says, you know, it, he's like the, uh, like the, the son of his, his old age or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly how old he would have been. I, I tend to think that maybe he wasn't so, uh, I, I don't know, like uh, weak or like, or, or senile or anything like that, but that it just kind of like, I, I don't know. He had this soft spot in his heart and he was, certainly wasn't his firstborn son, but he was the firstborn, um, of Rachel, right? Right. So I, I think there is something about that, right? That like for different reasons, right? Like we have these different sentiments and different kind of connections. And yeah, I mean, like, I, I think you can tell, like you were saying, you know, yeah, I think that there is something probably like, like a king like David who, you know, he, he loved, he loved uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan being the, uh, the elder son of Saul, um, you know, like he's thinking, I've got this kingdom. I'm going to hand it off to my firstborn. I mean, like, how how much has David been dreaming about handing off the kingdom, right, to his right. to his firstborn? Like Saul was unable to do, right. So, I mean, I don't know. It could be that David 
is more mourning the idea than the actual person even. Right. And I, I kind of want to skip ahead to the end of the chapter because yeah. we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Absalom, Absalom has Amnon killed, get the word back. And then uh, verse 34, Absalom fled. Uh, 37 says it goes to, uh, goes to Geshur. Yeah. Which we're like, okay, first question is why Geshur? But if you go back to the list of sons, Absalom and Tamar's mother was the princess of Geshur. That's right. It was a political. Mm-hmm. It was a political marriage. Yep. So, Dad's mad at him, so he goes and runs to Granddad <laughs> yeah. uh, oh. to to try to find some shelter because you know grandparents yeah. grandparents tend to be a little. Uh, Less Softer. strict than hair. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no strangers to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then I want to make the quick point from verse 39. Uh, the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom uh, because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Mm. Da- mm-hmm. David didn't have to worry about Amnon because, well, Amnon was dead. It's the son that's missing, the son that is off for three years. Mm-hmm. That and we'll see that through the next few chapters is David's heart continues to go out after Absalom and which gets him in trouble with most of his elite soldiers and generals is that he's too fond of Absalom because now Absalom is the heir to the throne that's right no no yeah that's a that's a really good point and you see it again and again how david's desires are just out of whack and and they get him into all kinds of trouble and it's when the when the new david shows up you know it's just remarkable how jesus at every turn he he resists all the temptations of desire um you know he he does not get led astray he's undeterred in that love not just for you know these ideas or these things that he wants or craves but He loves his father. He loves us. Thank you so much, brother, for unpacking a difficult chapter and uh, looking forward to having you on again soon. Everybody, Pastor Doug Minton, pastor in Blaine, Minnesota. Until next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.